Whoever drinks beer, he is quick to sleep. Whoever sleeps long does not sin. Whoever does not sin enters heaven. Thus, let us drink beer. Welcome back to the Go to Hell podcast, Strong Opinions Weekly Held about Christianity, the church, and beer. Please subscribe, rate, and review the Go to Hell podcast so other people can find out why they need to go to hell. I'm your host, Tim Curley, and I'm joined by my co-host, Colton Pierce. Colton, how's it going? It's going good, Tim. I, uh, I have picked up the sequel book this week. I got it on Friday. Because uh, me and my wife, we we have a nice little tradition. It's actually a lot of fun for us. Um, we go to – we don't have a local bookstore around here that's um, any good. Um, and I say any good by meaning like we have – and I hopefully the people that own the Visalia Christian Bookstore in Visalia don't get offended. We just don't have like a, a bookstore that own that has a large variety of books at it anywhere near us so we got to drive about 45 minutes up the road to get to a bookstore so uh me and my wife have a nice little date once a month where we go have dinner in fresno we get ice cream while we're there there's a nice little hipster ice cream spot that makes the best honeycomb ice cream uh it has little bits of actual honeycomb in it it's nice and sweet oh so good um ampersand ice cream in fresno if anybody's in the area I, i highly recommend you check it out but then also we uh, go to Barnes & Noble and we buy a book. And I know, yes, we would like to shop small when it comes to bookstores, but we just don't have one in our area. So Barnes & Noble is the best that we can get. So uh, we go there. And so I picked up the sequel to Stephen King's The Gunslinger. It's uh, the Dark oh, wow. Tower series. So I picked up the the drawing of the three. And I picked it up on Saturday morning and I read 200 pages uh on saturday and i got to read a little bit more today during jury duty and so i'm really enjoying that it's a lot of fun i don't recommend it uh if you are opposed to people engaging in sinful behaviors within a book stephen king is phenomenal at doing that he always picks very distinct characters as his main characters they are far from perfect um, and I think it's something that's really good. And so it's been really nice uh, getting to read that. And it's been really refreshing just writing about these people. Like right now, one of the main characters in the book is he's a drug addict. And so it's um, him trying to kick his he's trying to kick his heroin addiction and that kind of stuff. And just I had heard from a lot of Stephen King's fans that these two books that I've read from him, which is The Gunslinger and now this book. He was going through he was on a lot of drugs himself during that time and so um it's kind of interesting to see him reflecting from that side and that perspective and so that's been really fun over the past couple of days i've been really excited i've been really reading through it ready to rock and roll through it i'm having a lot of fun um with stephen king so 
I'm in a good mood about it. That's just kind of why. Wanted to highlight it. If anybody wants to read that, it's not really a part of the Go to Hell's normal recommendations. Uh, if you are over the age of 20 or over the age of 18, I highly recommend it. I would not recommend it to my students. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think King's, I don't know if he's a practicing Catholic, but I've heard he's a Catholic or was, you know, grew up a Catholic. And I think that informs a lot of his. Oh, yeah. There's uh, biblical notes throughout yeah. all of his writing. So or at least the, what I, the writing that I've read. Uh, even there yeah there's been some fun stuff where it's like mm, i'm yeah uh, i mean the stands basically kind of a view like a uh, his own version of like end times revelation kind of thing yeah well and uh the he keeps referencing there's for anybody who hasn't read the dark tower there's uh there's a boy that's involved his name is jake and he keeps referencing him as his isaac mm. uh, the main character roland it's his isaac yeah, and that was really interesting when that whole kind of stuff went down in the gunslinger. So, well, this is a good little impromptu hot topic. I know, a little fun. We, yeah, right. Fear <laughs> of the week because what's what's saddening about biblical literacy plummeting? Because I I do think there was a time where biblical literacy was fairly high. I mean, you knew the it was common culture to know the broad strokes. Yeah. I think we overestimate how Christian the country's always been because we just base it on what people said either in a survey or number of people went to church and not judging people individually, but that's just not, that's a poor sign of showing, uh, of just demonstrating how Christian we are. But it was in the cultural zeitgeist for a long time and it is not anymore. And what's being lost from a, just from a non-Christian standpoint, just from a cultural standpoint is people are missing out on a lot of richness in a tremendous amount of English language literature. Yeah, when you read Moby Dick and you see the two names Ishmael and yeah. Ahab, how does that not right. like? <laughs> that no, no kid would understand that. I would have you. Know, we would spend probably actually. Well, we're not allowed to do it anymore, like in the public yeah, school setting. Yeah, like, I wouldn't be able to say anything. I mean, I, I'm and I'm sure now there's plenty of sayings I can't think of anything off the top of my head. That's now just a. You know, I mentioned, uh, well, I mentioned a lot in the last recorded episode of, uh, the, yeah, the last episode recorded where somebody said sacrificial lamb and the one guy who's like 45 years old had no idea what he's talking about. And the guy grew up in the South where, you know, ooh, it's Bible Belt. He's like, what does that mean? Yeah, where <laughs> churches are literally like a part of the, I remember when we were driving through the South two summers ago and we were listening to the public radio because we, for whatever reason, like lost connection to be able to add our phones. So we were like, okay, um, we're just going to toss on the public radio. Churches were sponsoring radio broadcasts. Yeah. So like the radio host. So, I mean, if you're listening to this in other parts of the country and you think that that's normal, where we're at in California, if you're on a secular music station, there are no church plugs no no straight up i kid you not youth groups were being advertised on secular music channels that's cool i didn't know that that yeah i was like what you're gonna use church money that's not a bad way to go i don't think i well i was just like what youth ministry is getting that kind of publicity (laughs) or what youth ministry is getting that kind of money to where they can buy radio sponsorships whatever you know there's a there's a mega there's a ten thousand mega church in a fifteen thousand person town yeah and still the youth pastor is only getting paid two grand a year yeah i was like what is happening uh uh, yeah, it was crazy. So I mean, like, yeah, that's a that's a legitimate. Okay, thing. The, the youth pastor joke 
I'm going to, we'll continue this. But that <laughs> reminds me of another little hot topic we have to talk about in a minute. So, but yes, the the lack of, at the, at the very least, there is a lot of, like I said before, there's a lack of richness if you don't know the Bible fairly well. And again, you don't have to know literally everything, but just know your David and Goliath stories, your Noah stories, your Jonah stories, those kind of stories, the the Sunday school stories. So if you don't know those stories, you might not be confused as what's been going on, but you're missing like two, maybe there's the, layers. the double entendre, <laughs> yeah. the layers or that's going on in the story. Yeah, 100%. And that's, I mean, it, it's true. Like, that's why I, I highly suggest, I mean... <laughs> I'm an English teacher, so I always suggest. But, I mean, just reading even old stories, like, it's the same thing with a lot of people. Just I don't even necessarily think that it's always biblical literacy or, you know, where people are falling all away from that and they don't understand. I was like, there's lots of stuff where people don't even understand just Greek myths. And you don't understand that that's being used on a regular basis to influence a oh, lot of the things that we absolutely. watch and see and read. And so it's just always fun um, or funny when people are like, wow, this uh, this new story is super innovative, and it's really not. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. So, yeah, if you want to, the average movie or TV show series you're watching is probably based on a Greek myth, a Shakespeare yeah. play, or yeah. something from the Bible. And if you don't know either one of those three, and you think that guy's a genius, he's not. Like, pretty much... Pretty much most crime shows, like all the great TV shows that people yeah. rave about like now, like Succession, Yellowstone, they're either Lear or Macbeth or one of the one of the Henry movies or some uh, uh, plays, but it's like, no, this isn't actually... I mean, it's innovative that they've been able to apply it in a modern setting, but it's yeah, like, guys, this like, is nothing new. Yeah, guys, like the first Avatar movie was just Pocahontas, like... <laughs> I thought so like people said this like people were telling this to people like years later and I was like I thought it like from the first second we watched the movie I was like yeah and they're wanting to dig up a rock this one guy is like supposed to be a part of the military but then he befriends like the chick from the indigenous people's tribe I was like, there's a bit more violence than in Pocahontas, but, <laughs> and they don't sing paint with all the colors of the wind, but we're there. Like, <laughs> that's funny. That's oh, all it goodness. is. It's just Pocahontas. Wow. <laughs> I haven't seen the second one. Well, I only saw the first one once, so yeah, you're not a fan. I know no, I'm not. I was, I was bored. I've, I'd seen po- Pocahontas before. <laughs> <laughs> I just didn't know it until you pointed it out. I was like, this is so derivative, but I don't know why. <laughs> White people stealing another story. <laughs> Cultural appropriation. What? No, never done that. Before. All right, what are we drinking this week? Sitting here, drinking beer, talking guys, Uh, we are drinking, speaking of which, I gotta go get another one. Uh, we are drinking the Boatswain Double IPA uh, Twin Screw Steamer, uh, which I kind of like that name. I cannot for the life of me tell where this thing is. It's a double, uh, yeah, because it's literally just the same thing over and over again. So Tim picked this up at Trader Joe's. 
Yeah, I got it at Trader Joe's. It was in with all the other major microbrew beers, so I assumed it was some brewery somewhere. Maybe it was on the box. Just so you know, uh, this is Colton's take. You can oh, here Tim, it is. Tim will elaborate a little bit more for you. For me personally, it says deep amber on here, which would be fair. That uh, we didn't pour this in a glass; it's in a red can. Yeah, it's uh, not very hop forward. Uh, has kind of. Oh, I see why. It's not. I I feel like it's not malt necessarily. It kind of has like a porter back taste or a, a stout back taste, which means that it kind of has that toffee, chocolate kind of taste at the back end it's good i'm not disliking it but I, to label it as an ipa as far as what i've tasted of ipas which i've tasted a lot uh it's just not really in that realm for me but maybe tim will elaborate so this is from rhinelander brewing company in monroe wisconsin so this is some germans uh, t- take on what an ipa is supposed to take taste like fair enough this is not really an IPA. This is something different, but his is tasty. So, uh, yeah, so Boats and Wayne double IPA. They had an, a regular IPA. Might have, should have done the regular IPA instead of the double IPA. But, uh, I anyway. I think it's tasty. I just, um, another well, brewery, another brewery I can put mark on the belt. I think that with, um, with, IPAs. For those of you that are maybe listening to this from outside of California, and I don't want to just like brag about California. We do have, and that's not true. Because again, you have the New England style um, type of IPA where you, again, which is such a weird thing. Okay. Can we talk about this for just a second? Where the New England style IPA always throws me. Because when you associate, (laughs) so West Coast IPA, pine. Is yeah. like your central flavor. Yep, you're gonna look. Flavor. You're gonna get pine, or you could potentially get like. Th- th- often they'll call them more of a dink type, mm-hmm. uh, where you know you have this kind of weed esque kind of flavor. It's like, but it's, it's like. But wet. if it's a true West Coast IPA, you're gonna get pine. There's a they talk about like this triangle when it comes to IPAs, and pine should be at the forefront usually, with the West Coast. It should if be it's bitter. True. Should be hoppy. Should be piney. Um. And then the East Coast, right? Which also, when people associate with California, like you expect beaches and you expect bubble. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> New England are lush. New England IPAs and citrusy are citrus and tropical. Yeah. <laughs> they are. They're very juice forward. <laughs> so it's just a very interesting that you think of when you think of New England. Yep. You're not thinking of warm beaches with an like a Mai Tai in your hand. Well, at least yet, it's not lobster brine wine, so... But hazy IPAs, which are also called New England style, are... <laughs> they can have pineapple notes, mango notes, mm-hmm. uh, orange notes, and so just very tropical in their flavor Colton's profiles. favorite, grapefruit? I can't stand grapefruit. <laughs> and one of my favorite IPAs of all time, West Coast IPAs of all time, tosses grapefruit in theirs and is like... Oh. <laughs> like hearing colors. I enjoy it very much. Grapefruit sculpin. I enjoy grapefruit flavor too. So that's if fair. If hey, if you like if it, you like flavor, it. I, like I think it. that just adds more bitterness to it. Like, uh, which is fine. Like, if you like the bitter, for sure. But it's just like, I don't know. 
Well, we're I, recording this on a Tuesday before we go to Vegas for the NASCAR race in Vegas, the Pennzoil 400, brought to you by Jiffy Lube. So we will be enjoying uh, NASCAR and I'm sure a variety of whiskeys and beers in, every evening after we're done. So It's exciting. Lots of good drinking ahead of us. So. <laughs> and some good food. Yes, uh, hopefully. I was like... And hopefully we don't freeze our asses off. Please pray for Colton, um, those of you that are listening to this podcast. <laughs> I don't do the cold very well. And It's notice. supposed to be mid-50s to maybe... In the middle of the day, that's mo- what it's mid-50s. Maybe low 60s. Well, the temperature the temperature's tough enough. It's the wind. It, it, if it's windy, then it's, then it's going to be... Yeah, yeah, last year it snowed in Vegas yes. when we were there in March. Yeah, Snowed, ten minutes before, right before the race started. Hey, it's snowing. No. Snowing in Sid City is the same thing as snowing in hell when it freezes mm-hmm. over. Yep, that is what happened. Our hands were so cold we couldn't get. We had cameras mounted to the uh, to a pace car, the pace car, and we were our hands were so cold we could not get the thing off. Freezing, freezing, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Okay, so the other hot topic for tonight. Yeah. Okay, if you've just joined us, we're talking about who is the best lord. Lord of the rings, of the dance, or of the flies. That's tonight's hot topic. Hot topic. We're going to do a little trivia. What? Daily double. <laughs> what denomination do you think Rick Warren's Saddleback Church is a part of, or has been a part of? Baptist. What type of Baptist? Oh... They're not, I mean, like, I feel like what they associate, well. There's American Baptist. No, 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 I got you. I was going to say Southern Baptist because that's just probably what they originally claimed. You say Southern Baptist. I think that that's what they originally claimed when they made it, but. You were correct, sir. I would have never guessed that in a million years. (laughs) I don't think that they are, but. The most milk toast pastor. Yeah, I'm aware, but I'm like, they still claim it. I was like, doesn't. I was like, pretty much, doesn't TFBC still claim Southern Baptist no, technically? No, no, no. Southern, TFBC was a American Baptist church. No, so did the, they? T, TFBC. It wouldn't have surprised me if that. Not, if you're, for those playing along at home, TFBC's Tulare First Baptist was an American Baptist church and then left the American Baptist Association because. They were too progressive, weren't they? There was an issue over over gay marriage or. We put a drum in our uh, I think it was. In our auditorium. I think it was. It's either gay marriage or homosexual pastors. I think a couple churches in the Bay Area decided they were going to do it, and the American Baptist Church basically said, yeah, do whatever you're going to do. We don't really care. And the churches in our area, the Central Valley, said, that's it, that's enough, and left and started their own thing, which is called Growing Healthy Churches, which is just a loose affiliation of churches in mostly central valley there's still a couple up in the bay area that they broke away from and then nevada so that might be an interesting thing to talk about i don't know how much the audience would be interested about that of denominations i what think church they, politics is for? actually something that more people should be exposed to i remember I mean, well, some people, maybe not. I remember for me personally, as somebody who wanted to work in the church for a long time, and even though my father was a part of the church, I just, the curtains were pulled back and it was just like, it, it being in that position myself, it, it made me sick. And so it's like, sometimes it, it pays or not pays, but it just, it would be helpful to expose 
some of just what church politics and kind of how things work and the inner workings as much as it may not be a very exciting podcast for some people i still think that it would be good to explain to people like hey this is this is the process that it goes through if you think that we just like hire anybody off of the street you know like that's not it and like this is people that are a part of this program they you know put in their names right like with growing healthy churches for example right um and kind of that kind of stuff so i didn't think that may be a future episode in store for us um which we could have like a pretty good guest on for that one who could give us some explanations yeah so um nudge nudge scottish man across the pond over there um Uh, if you're listening okay so you were correct saddleback was southern baptist yeah they were booted from the southern baptist convention last week shocker do you question number two so you you were one for one what were they booted from the southern baptist convention for Mm, I don't know this, so I'm just going to give a best guess. I didn't know the other one either, just so we're clear. And that was, again, a best guess. That was a great guess. I would have That would have been on my bottom of, well, maybe. Well, I wish this is what they were non-denominational. No, but. you just thought that I was going to say Catholic. I got you. <laughs> um, What could they be booted for? I don't know. Freaking Rick Warren being basic? Um, They got booted. That would have to be something serious, according to think? the according to the Southern Baptist Church. It would have to be something you'd serious. Think. Oh, you'd think. Okay. I'm, I'm going to give you a hint. It's not. It's not a hint. But once 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 I explain, you'll understand why it's a hint. But it's not really a hint. But this, I'm bringing this up in. I was going to bring it up maybe anyway. But once you said the thing about the youth pastor, this will put a nice little bow on the youth pastor thing. Again, this isn't helpful at all, but I think you'll understand my logic when I, when I explain. Which is Doug Fields was their youth pastor for like the longest time. Okay, really? Wait. Yeah, wait, wait, okay, wait, wait, what are you going with? Huh? No, wait, what were you telling me? Go, go, go. No, no, that was my... Oh, you're saying that this has to do with the youth pastor thing? Or I will see how it has to do with this after... The youth pastor thing. Southern it Baptist. Ties into, it ties into ties into the money of the church. Okay, so money then, uh, and not and a lot of churches not taking seriously the youth pastor position. Okay, so my guess is that they were paying their staff too much. <laughs> That's a good guess based on what I said. No, they got booted along with several other pa- uh, Southern Baptist churches. The other ones I don't know because Rick Warren named his replacement for the church. And it was a husband and wife co-pastor duo that was going to replace him. And the Southern Baptist Convention said... Is Rick Warren retiring? Yeah. Oh, wow. Good for him. He should retire. Oh, yeah. This is another topic. I'll bring up something when we're done with this. Someone related. So the Southern Baptist Church kicked them out for having a woman pastor. <laughs> and I think four or five other churches, because... Those other ones basically had a single woman as lead pastor. And I got to admit, and my wife's going to listen to this so, you know, she can slap me when she hears this. I would still, as progressive as I am getting in my faith, I would have a hard time. Well, I would have a hard time with a female pastor. It would be if it was a female week to week. But I don't think no one, no church, I don't think a church that progressive is going to have they don't have pastors tr- uh, preaching every week. So she's probably, 
their head pastor is probably part of a group of two or three pastors that are preaching. Here's what and I, I don't. And let me just say, we have a, a, a female at our church. Female teaching preaches. pastor at our church. Yes. I have no problem when she teaches. I have no problems when she teaches. I, I don't. I, I have no problem with women in leadership in churches. I have no if they want to run the whole dang shebang. Absolutely no problem. What I have a problem with, and I'm sorry, I can't find a better term for this. I still think that it's a good term when we're talking about when we're still talking about this this age of transition that we're in, where we talk about you know the pay gap, where we talk about uh, female versus males in jobs and that kind of stuff, and whatever your opinion is on either of those, and whatever uh, Jordan Peterson video you're watching. <laughs> I think that when it comes to female preaching, and um, I really have enjoyed, again, like I said, I've had, I work with a lot of females. I have no problems with females in power. Uh, My last boss was female. There is no problem that I have with them in authority roles. There's no but that's coming after that. I just don't know a good way to say what I'm I like it's not in a bad way. I just just like say it. it and then we'll clean it up. Okay. Why is it? And I've listened to a lot of. I have listened to a lot of female preaching. There's like I said, there's a female teaching pastor on Woodland Hills podcast. Um, we have one in our church. Um, I've listened to female ones around. Um, when I hear them preach, I want them to preach a kick-ass sermon that challenges me. And it's always been kind of mediocre. I'm not saying that that's sexist. Uh, maybe it's just the women that I've gotten, but always it's been a very nurturing. Again, they kind of step into the woman role in their preaching when they're supposed to be in this leadership and they're supposed to have this thing. But it comes from this like, you know, like this is what we've been through and this is, you know, and it becomes kind of this. Um, but me personally, like I want to like, I want to be challenged. I want it, it. You're pulling punches. Stop pulling punches. That's what I would recommend to all of the women pastors out there. And I know that that's easy for me to say um, because um Men can get up there and they can say whatever the heck they want and people will love them for it. Um, but if you're hired to do a job, you got to freaking do your job. And so get out there and give a kick-ass sermon. And so that's why like, the, I, the term that I've been dancing around is what I've been saying for a while is like, give me a ballsy sermon, man. Like get out there and freaking challenge people. Go out there and, uh, and give people – and don't get me wrong, just so we're clear to all the female pastors out there. Um, there are plenty of gentlemen pastors out there that do not give ballsy sermons and it frustrates the hell out of me. Okay. And that's, that's not, uh, Bob, I love you. Uh, I'll wait till Tim gets back, but yeah, I, I don't want that to be bad. I just want you, I am rooting for you. I really am. I just want something ballsy. I want you to be like, yeah, you know what? Fuck the establishment. <laughs> like, you know, 
I just want that from a female pastor. And I think that they're just in a state right now um, where they have to come from this this female perspective that they have to speak to. Um, and it's just – and maybe that's what they're used to. I, I don't know. I think that they are extremely talented and that kind of stuff and they can do those leadership things and, and especially from the pulpit. They just need to step into those roles and fulfill them. And not because I think that that's a man's spot. And that's why I didn't like using the word ballsy because that means like, again, that's a, that's a man's term. I just want you to go out there and, and kill it and challenge people on a regular basis. And I just, from most of the females that I've heard so far that I've spoken, even women that have written, written several books and done lots of really cool things, it's still very much very um, uh, emotionally driven argument instead of thought-provoking. Um, and that's just my experience. And maybe there's people out there that are like, bro, you're totally wrong. And I would love for you to send me some of those female um, okay, let's, pastoral stuff. I'm going to speak for myself. You don't have to agree with with what I'm going to say. Tim's tired of listening to me be uh, politically Milk correct. Toast. Uh, hey, no. I was about to slam on Rick Warren, but you no, got no, up no, to no, go no. take okay. a piss. So, uh, some might call me old-fashioned. I just, it's realist. Um, there is a difference between men and women. Women do tend to be more nurturing than men do. So... And stipulating what one has to do in this age of stupidity that we live in. Yes, there are exceptions. So there are some women who are very, not tough's not the right word. They're not nurturing. They, are, they don't have a nurturing gene. But by and large, women are more than 50% of the time, the average woman, more than 50% of the average woman is more nurturing, nurturing than more than 50% of the men. It's just the way it is. Women are more nurturing. So I think one of the concerns that the church has had, even just being very nice about it, the church being 2,000 years, is if you put women in charge, they are going to tend to be, tend to be nurturing, more nurturing and not as, uh, let's say, with the rod and staff like a, men would, a man would. Now, you and I would both agree the church has been too much judgmental rod and staff and not nurturing correct in, yeah, in its yeah, view yeah. of the gospel just again just crude crude general generalizations and i don't think anybody who listens to this podcast has a problem with generalizations but if you do understand if you don't make generalizations about people even yes we make bad generalizations but generalizations are the way we uh, accrue wisdom you can assume things. You can accurately assume a generalization about someone. You can also make an ass of yourself and make the incorrect generalization about something. But generally speaking, you and I would agree the church has been too much has been much more Old Testament than it has thought it has been. Right, and I mean, like what I'm saying by a ballsy sermon from a female, and I just want to clarify is what I mean by that is. I never 
have heard anything other than kind of very similar, and maybe this is something that's been very frustrating for a lot of people that listen to this, is when you go to church on a Sunday morning and you just hear about how to be a good father, or you just go and you just hear about what it is to, you know, be a good Christian or whatever, that's not a ballsy sermon. Right. That's a shit sermon. I'm sorry. I'm done with that. If for, that's for... I can turn Tony Robbins on at one in the morning and watch him. That's for... I don't think anybody that has stumbled upon this podcast would would sit there and say, like, this is what I'm looking for from my... Uh, if you go to church every single Sunday and you're bored or you don't want to listen to the sermon. That's because you're not being challenged. You're not... That's not happening on a regular right. basis for you. And I and when I say challenged, that doesn't mean that you need to feel shame about your faith walk because that's another way that people – so that's the rod and staff that Tim's talking about where it's like you should feel shamed and that's the challenge that you feel. No. You should be challenged on your education of who Jesus Christ is and be challenging on your viewpoints of how you continue to view God and through that how you should react to other people. Well, the rod and staff, the rod and staff is what you and I and my wife were talking about before we started this podcast, which is you're you have a uh, you have a daughter who comes home from college because you were dumb enough to pay two hundred thousand dollars to send her off to secular seminary, and she comes home and says, "Hey, I'm a lesbian," and because that's what you've been taught is, I have to cast you as shun you, and I can't have anything to do with you because now you're doing this thing that. That Jesus finds icky. That's the kind of rod and staff thing I'm kind of I'm talking about, right? Or even just you don't believe in Jesus. I can't really, you know, it, it it's that kind of thing. So right. And my thing about, uh, and my thing when I say a ballsy sermon is I don't want you to challenge their guilt and their shame. I want you to challenge their way of thinking. I want you to challenge like, hey, this is how we have perceived God for a long period of time. Why don't we flip this? Right. Why don't we come at this from a different perspective? Let me show you why we should based off of the scriptures. But that's not really what I see. It's let's look at this one piece of scripture. Let's talk about how God is, God is loving and nurturing and that's how we should respond. That's what a lot of pastors do on a Sunday service. And so I'm still waiting to see. I really, really badly want to see a woman come out there and kick some ass and sit there and just go all out and just say, hey, this is what the Bible says. Here's what historians say. Here's what da 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 And this is how we should respond and that kind of stuff. And that stuff is phenomenal. It's what I've seen from the great pastors. And so I want to see a female do that, but I've yet to see it. I'm not saying that there aren't female pockets sure. out there that are possibly doing it this is just what i haven't seen so far uh well i don't want to we're not we can't adjudicate this tonight it's a big topic sure but i want to leave it this this way i, I want to leave it so that anyone let's just assume there are people on both sides who are listening to this who are like extreme is like yeah i would actually rather go to a hear a female pastor than a male pastor um because of sexism and yada, yada, yada. Look, whatever the discussion is, if you're anti or pro, don't get stuck in your... 
your little dogmas as to what you because it's based on the one side because acts says something about women not being and what acts says about women being leaders in the church and saying that that's forever set in stone for the rest of humanity that women can't be leaders in the church let's have a little more thoughtful discussion about that but also don't just be like men suck and we need to have women come in there are don't have your token one. Don't have your token one way or another. Because I think it is fair for me to say, particularly in, we're, we, we've gone from a world where I think Christianity was to rod and staff, particularly depending on what flavor of it you were, you were participating in. Now we're going into a world where like everything is fine. It's There's no problems with anything. Everything's great and just love Jesus and Jesus will love you and there are no rules. And if you are, a, if I think it is not sexist to suggest that the nurturing side of a female pastor is going to, it's not because she's more open to it. It's just like, we're not going to deal with those things. The other thing, I th- to me, what's been a bigger issue, and frankly, it's new, it's so new to have female pastors, not teaching pastors, lead pastors. That I don't think anybody knows whether it's good or bad. So whatever questions I've raised are just simply, these are questions people have had. I don't think they can just be thrown aside. The other question is, <clears throat> in America in particular, again, someone listening to this might say, particularly if you're a female, you hate this idea. That's fine. We live in the in the United States. I think one of the problems we have is men have been allowed to hand over the roles they are supposed to handle. The big one that I'm talking about is being a father and a husband. We have turned fathers into sperm donors who have no responsibility at home with the children that they have brought into this world and left women to raise them. And it has not gone well. And it's not because women are incapable of raising children. It's because you don't have two parents in the house, particularly a man and a woman. It's hard to raise children and raise them up well. I worry about the church then casting aside women, uh, men from leadership completely. And just because you, re- just because you appoint a male pastor, a female pastor, doesn't mean we're casting men aside. So. Th- but if we get to the point where more and more women are replacing men as pastors, our churches are going to go to hell too. Why? This is not a criticism of women. Hear me out here. I'm, let me finish my thought. Men are trash. They become troglodyte Neanderthals when they are not held to a higher standard. And if men are just going to sit in pews and do nothing, which, frankly, Colton, you and I would agree, that happens too much in churches already. Right. It's going to get worse. So, again, I'm not... These are questions that need to be thought about so we don't go rushing from one thing to another. Right. And I mean, like, for anybody out there that's maybe listening to this, if you want to know kind of target audience of churches which i think that it's good to know there's a huge push right now to make sure that 
the father is in the church. So there's usually a really big push to push for one. There needs to be child care provided. That's why you will always continue to have growing and developing at if if it is a good healthy church, they will continue to have a growing and developing children's ministry. Right. Two, that's why you'll also have these weird kind of events that the church will throw where it's like this doesn't if you are a woman, you may sit there and say this is an odd event where on a Super Bowl Sunday they're throwing this huge event and they're um doing a tailgating outside yeah. and they're doing and you may sit there and think oh this is so much fun but know that the church itself or the leadership in that church has sat there and said if the dad shows up then everyone shows up yeah there's so the there's a polling there's a data group within christian circles um i think it's called barna group i met john barna he's he's an outstanding researcher some of his stuff that I see, I question the data. I don't think it's because it's misleading. He's just doing his best to capture data, like how many people are actually reading their Bibles, that kind of thing. Uh, and I don't think he he puts his data out as if it's authoritative. It's just to give an example, you know, give some guidance to churches as to what's going on. But what Colton is talking about is, I it's probably 10, 15 years ago now, maybe 20, he did a major study, and it basically said if... It's uh, Leave it to Beaver. If you don't remember watching, if you never watched the Leave it to Beaver show, Leave it to Beaver had this strange thing, even for the 50s and 60s. I remember as a kid watching this where Ward and June didn't go to church, but the two boys went off to Sunday school every morning dressed to the nines. It was like, well, why don't they go to church? Anyway, if the kids go to church, 10%, it's a 10% chance they become Christians when they're older, I think is what it is. Right. If mom and the kids go, it becomes a 30, maybe 40%, might be 20, somewhere between 25 and 40% chance. If dad goes, that number skyrockets to like 70. Right. And and just so we're clear, for anybody that's listening, I mean this also in a really, I, I mean like this comes from this place where, again, where I talked about earlier where the curtains need to be drawn back and you need to understand I'm not talking badly about churches, but I'm also just saying that this is just where they come from. Is that the the tithing also comes from the male as well. So sure. Not only is it not only is it that the man comes in brings the it at it comes from a much more selfish place than just these kids will eventually turn out to be Christians. It is. The pocketbook gets brought out if the man is there um, for the tithing and those types of things, um, as opposed to if the female just shows up. And then also, as to Tim's point where it says, then the kids are more likely to become Christians at 70%. And then that means that those are future tithers <laughs> yeah um and i know that that Church seems Inc. and again i know that that seems really sadistic um and maybe that's something that's hard for you to swallow but that is a harsh reality of 
I, I here's the hard part is, and I've been thinking about this a lot actually recently. Is uh, uh, we have to gain some distance sometimes, um, where we sit there and we look at the church because we want we want these people that say that they are looking and trying to be like Jesus, and we are hoping that they are going to be like Jesus, but yet we live in a world that does not support Jesus followers. So a church cannot operate based off of Jesus followers if they don't make money. They have to work in the world that they live in. And so, yes, they have to have what we call target audiences. And so that that seems really messed up. Right, because their message is it's supposed to be for everyone. And it is. The message is not different. No. It just appeals to a specific set of people. And yes, you may feel like you're being played like a fiddle or whatever. But just so we're clear, everything that you do in the United States of America, if you live within the United States, because I know we've got a couple of listeners outside. Yep. Is you are being played to a fiddle. Don't come and talk to us, the church first. And that's the bad guy in your sense. Meanwhile, you scroll through Instagram on a fucking algorithm (laughs) that tells you what your life is going to be. So it's like, I don't... Listen, I this part was part of the part that disgusted me when I went to the church. When I was a, when I was on staff, I didn't like that we had target audiences. I didn't like any of this stuff. It's gross. I still feel dirty talking about it. Where again, like I think we've talked about it on the show, where it's like we give it's like clockwork. Just wait till November rolls around, late November, early December. Somehow a tithing sermon comes up in that time frame. Um. And yes, you'll all of a sudden feel really guilty out of nowhere. Like you're just like, man, I really should give. And it just happens to be around the time when I receive a holiday bonus. Weird. It's almost like they want you to give up part of your holiday bonus. <laughs> well, our pastor this Sunday had to, he had to address it a little bit in, in, in what he was talking about. He wasn't, uh, but... Um... We have a new project the church is going to do where it's trying to reach. We, Our church has picked out a neighborhood that is below the poverty line to... Everywhere in our area. Well, the majority. Because of our, we're, we are in a rich church. Let's just be honest. We're in a rich church. I would not say we're in a rich white church. We're actually uh, racially pretty mixed. But no. no, we have quite a bit of Hispanics. But these are people who are not new to the United States. And they're also... They are, they, we have a, we have a church of white and Hispanic, uh, working professionals, most of which are probably, they're either all in education or agriculture. For me, for me personally, I'm still a part of this church. I would still say that the minorities are still minorities in our church. Um, it's much higher than what you think it is. I think it's higher than a lot of churches around in the area. Cause I mean, we are very tribal. We've talked about that. I'm just saying I think that we are a little bit more diversified, but I still think that we are. I think the, the number of Catholics in our area, I think it's pretty – the amount of Hispanics we have at our church is a pretty healthy – Sure, 
Sure, I'd still say yeah. I was like, but, I knew it'd be yeah. So we got this big thing. We're gonna ask for money, and our you know our pastor makes a joke. He says, "Great, you know, I'm sure some of you might be here for the first time." He's like, "There it is. He's asking me for money. I knew it. I knew it was gonna happen." And our pastor is very good at handling that situation. I think, uh, and he's also being—he's very good at just asking for money. I what what bothers me? Yeah, he stands he, out on a street corner with a uh, cardboard sign. <laughs> says, no. "Please give to neighborhood church." What bothers me is the wishy-washiness of it of other pastors that I've worked with, where they they do the fact that they act like it's icky makes it to me some even more disingenuous. No, my issue is I don't like the manipulation. I well, the mani- the manipulation's an issue. Uh, here here's let what, me, I, let I me had sp- a converse, I had a thought in my head in my <coughs> private time no music, no podcast drive in my GMC truck. So you're not the only crazy person. It's not as good as the Tesla, but that's okay. Because uh, at least you can. Let's hear, be honest. At least you can hear an engine in the GMC truck. <laughs> yeah, <My laughs> it's truck's, pure silence. Uh, Twenty years old, and so the 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 rings around the doors don't work very well. So it gets kind of. It's like my mom when she's in the truck tries to talk, and I'm like, Mom, I can't even hear you. So it's just not. <laughs> she has a low voice. She's a low talker. So it's not like it's like as if I have the windows rolled down. It's like Mom's not worth it. <laughs> is um, she is she still here? No. Oh, she's, she's back in her Okay, okay. Sorry. America has a church problem. It has a Christian problem. Because look, there's plenty of little country churches around the corner that you and I have no clue about because we just drive past them every day. They got 50 people in there. My view of that is you got 50 people, you're just like two families away from dying out. Right. The problem is the successful churches we have in the United States are middle class. That's being genuine, generous. Okay. They are upper middle class. Upper middle class to lower, upper class. Lower, higher class. Yeah. And I'm not saying this. I'm not saying this. When I say this, please don't hear me saying that lower class people are a bunch of immoral people. But we do have a problem with the lower class. I think one of the reasons why, well, how is the church going to reach those folks when no one's going to set foot in a church like that if you're lower class? And yet we keep building these upper middle class Whatever the whatever the trend is on the home shows to make it look swanky and, and cool and hip, we keep building these facilities when the people we want to re- reach out to, again, don't hear me saying like, oh, poor people are all immoral. They're not going to walk through those doors. I don't know... This is the third or fourth. We had we did have a topic tonight. I think we're going to shuck it because there's still more to talk about here. And this is good. This is why you and I enjoy doing this once a week because sometimes we just get ranting. And some of you, if, the nice thing about a podcast is if you guys don't like that week, you can just turn it off or you can just 
here where we go. We talked about women for too long. Everybody shut it off. <laughs> <laughs> we haven't. We've talked about this before. We we mentioned the fourteen thousand dollar electricity bill. I had to write. We have built. Churches are still building big facilities. Why are we building big facilities for churches filled with families with four or $5,000 houses who have plenty of room to host things at their house? Why do we need classrooms at the church when the people going to church have more room than they actually need? When there's a house full of kids, let alone the house like my house where all the kids have moved out. And yet we're still spending money on property insurance, taxes. Well, churches don't pay taxes. Maybe they pay. I don't know. I don't remember if we pay property. But we're paying, we're paying overhead on facilities we don't need. And the world has not changed to the point where church can all go online. And you're going to do your church on the internet. And I, in fact, if anything, I think COVID proved that the whole digital oversell was a bad idea and at the end of the day people still need to be elbow to elbow shoulder to shoulder in the same room with people to have meaningful relationships but that said why are we still building these meccas you know we have this view of the catholic church back in the in the in the day and i understand why because it's their architecture is much more gorgeous if you've ever been to a cathedral in Europe than what we're building. And we're, you know, we're always told, oh, these great cathedrals that were spent with who knows how much money from the Catholic Church and who knows how much sweat labor from not the, the poor Catholic folks. Church. Yeah. Yeah. The I've been I've been to twelve different cathedrals all throughout Europe in the United Kingdom. They're gorgeous. And yes, we've sold ourselves this romantic narrative that they were built all for the glory of God. Were they really? Or were they built for the glory of us and and with the shroud of being for the glory of God? I mean, I, one has to raise the cynical question. Yes, when one is in a gorgeous church shaped like a cross with this amazing... Uh, a glass work on the side that's doing, I don't know, the Ten Commandments or Genesis or whatever. Yes, there's something breathtaking about it and bringing one closer to God. But in some ways, the church has always been fixated on building facilities that aren't at all in, an, in alignment with what Jesus was talking about. And as I... <laughs> we have people going to churches with more room than they need already in their house giving money to a church to build buildings build classrooms that are only going to be used once or twice a week how is this at all in alignment with what the mission and vision of Jesus is but it's the racket we have it's the racket we've all signed up for guys I'd like you all to have a moment of silence raise a glass if you got one for the fact that Tim Curley has officially no longer become a Baptist and has become an Anabaptist. <laughs> Cheers. The irony of this is Cheers. the church we go to 
is this is its 75th year. It has a wonderful backstory, which they talked about this Sunday. Was what, the they talk about it. them being Mennonites to start? Yeah, so this Mennonite couple in Visalia, California, had a lived in a neighborhood with... They, he didn't say this this Sunday, but I've heard this several other times when it's talked about. This couple lived in a neighborhood with working class families. Mom, and, mom for sure, dad for sure, and, and often mom were gone. So they were surrounded by ruffian <laughs> children running around in the neighborhood with nothing to do. So they said, rather than be grumpy old Christian Jesus. people and say, y'all need to go to church, they said... <laughs> We're going to make you cupcakes and play volleyball and have a lot of fun. And we'll uh, then read the Bible a little bit every once in a while. And that grew to the parents then showing up. And then they started a church at a tavern nearby. They bought a, a tavern that wasn't being used anymore. And that tavern turned to, into another building. And it is now the large, expansive building that I'm ranting about now. Yeah, I think when it comes to buildings, and I mean, what Tim is hitting his nail on the head and a lot of people in the 21st century are beginning to struggle with this is um and this is actually true with a lot of the things that we have in our lives is what is the practicality um and um i love neighborhood church i still think that there are parts of it that are that need adjustment um but that's just my opinion. Again, like there's lots of people out there. I'm not going to, it's not going to change because of what I'm going to say. Uh, I think that Forrest is extremely talented. I think that he has a gift in being able to challenge and develop people at neighborhood church. He's our head teaching pastor. I think he has a, he has a serious gift. And the only reason that I'm on board with, well, no, I mean, I don't want to say it that way because it sounds bad. But at the end of the day, like, that is what I go to church for. I go on a Sunday morning to hear Forrest challenge me in a way that I haven't been challenged before. Again, he kind of gives those what I called earlier a ballsy sermon. Yeah. So he goes out there and he gives this really ballsy sermon. He always asks you if you're okay at the end of it. He says, neighborhood, are we okay? Um, because he's called you to do something that was very thought-provoking and very challenging. And you have to sit there and just be like, yeah, you know, um, let me spend two weeks at the drawing board and try to figure this out. <laughs> and that's phenomenal. And just so we're clear, he could do that on a plane or on a hilltop without thousands of dollars of audio equipment, without LED lights in the background. Yeah. He could do that without being in a highly air-conditioned or highly heated bill, especially this last month. Um, for Southern California yeah. gas or whatever, California gas. Wah! We just got our bill doubled for no reason. Anybody that has California gas knows what I'm 
talking about they sent out a letter and they're just like yeah sorry you're gonna get a double on your gas bill it was like okay yeah thank you <laughs> um for the heads up so something <laughs> happened in texas to disrupt the supply uh, yeah it was whatever it was ridiculous um so that's you know when it when it comes to that stuff, it's like, okay, that's the important stuff. For the anybody, I am fully aware that there are people that don't go to church for your sermons. Because for you, that's not the important stuff. It's about serving. It's about maybe getting your worship fixed, which we're going to be talking about worship here pretty soon because we got to get some stuff off of our chest. Yeah, the worship thing's a boy. The reason why the sermon is so huge for me is because of how challenging it is, is because I continually want to grow and I continually want to develop as a believer in ways that challenge my thinking it is very easy for if you are involved as a volunteer yes that is a way for you to grow that's a way for you to grow early on is my argument when you first start off as a believer you should be going through a couple of things i don't think that you should get involved immediately well you should get involved i don't think that you should get involved in service immediately there needs to be some time in between you becoming a believer. You're still growing. You're still developing. You need to learn. It's time for you to learn. And what you're going to be learning is a lot of the basics. You need to, that when we talked about what we talked about earlier, is you need to get a little bit more Bible literacy. Mm-hmm. Um, you need to know what it means when um, Stephen King calls Jake. Yeah, you uh, don't want to. You don't want a seven-year-old saying, "What do you mean you don't know who Daniel is?" Yeah, exactly. You don't. When he says, when like I said earlier, when it says J- Jake from the Gunslinger is called um, Roland's Isaac, why? What does that mean? And for some of you guys, you guys might be hearing this, and you're like, "I don't even understand what that means." Okay. Go and read Genesis and then come back. Right. <laughs> you know. Um, so, again, that's that's important. You're going to be learning foundational, fundamental. Once you get all the foundations, fundamentals kind of down, then you can start stepping into, I would say, really early um, roles of of volunteering and that kind of stuff. There's a lot of things that you can do without having to know serious biblical things. You can be a greeter. Greeter is phenomenal. Even people that are, that you can help people get connected to other people in the church can get plugged into small groups and those types of things. If you have an outgoing personality, then 100%. Do front of the house at church on Sunday. If you have. one of the worst. Churches struggle with that all the time. I think people. I think a lot of people volunteer because, well, I'll be brutally honest. Our church, the church right now, I think, does a fairly good job picking the right people. At our old church, it was just like whatever guy wanted to serve got put in the front. And these are, you don't put introverts (laughs) at front of the house. Uh, You need people who are going to be bubbly and warm and welcoming and have a memory because you want to be able to remember the new couple that was there the week before and not for four, five weeks in a row say, hey, have you been here before? Yes, 
I saw you last week and the week before and the week before that. Apparently you have no memory. That's a great way of turning people off to a church. Yeah, I uh, think I think when it comes to so like if you're an introvert, things that you can do are there are plenty of behind the scenes jobs that you can get involved with. I was like plenty of churches offer coffee ministry so to speak, which is where you go and you make coffee for early in the morning for uh, the service. Uh, maybe it's just uh, like our church puts out like a sticker table or whatever. Or maybe you go out there and you just you're a part of the setup where it's like, OK, I can go out there. I can put up the canopies. I can set up these tables, put that stuff out there. It's a really great place for you to feel like you belong, like you're you're you feel important and that kind of stuff um, while you're still going through your growth and your development. After that, I would highly encourage you to get involved with a teaching role um, for how your involvement should look like after that. You should be involved in, if you feel like you've been doing that for a long enough time, maybe for about a year um, or two, so to speak. What you should then begin to get into is maybe you should think about leading a small group or maybe you should get involved with children's ministry or maybe you should get involved with the youth ministry and begin to develop your abilities to be able to reteach some of this information or this faith that you are a part of, not information, I guess I should say. And why that's important for you to do is because believe it or not, um, this is actually a teaching strategy that we use on a regular basis as teachers. For all those times that you had to give a project growing up and all the times that you had to do things in front of the whole class and you had to teach it, and even though you were significantly embarrassed and you were you hate public speaking and you don't know how to say this or that and all that kind of stuff, I completely understand, but yet, I bet you still remember those projects. I bet you still know all of the information, and that's because you learned it better than anybody else did, and through that process of teaching, you learned way more than you were able to do um, before you had taught it. When you teach it, you know it better than you had ever known it before. Yeah. That's a true statement just about how it goes. And so you should get involved with that eventually, probably about two years down the line. Once you have done all that, your involvement then becomes pretty stagnant. You will never probably reach anything higher than that where you will continue to grow and develop unless you have a pastor that pushes you. And that's what we're saying in this instance is that with Forrest... Forest will push you. And there are pastors all around the country that will be able to do that for you to where if you are feeling maybe in your faith where you have felt for a long time, where you have had, you've taught, you've done that, you know it all, that kind of stuff, and you are feeling stagnant, it's because you don't have a pastor that is pushing you. And the reason why I say this is because when we look at what neighborhood is doing, in neighborhood is our ch local church, but this is something elsewhere where you can be able to apply this to whatever it is that you're doing. 
when we look at what it is that they are doing on a Sunday morning, ultimately at the end of the day, you should be going at that point for your pastor to continue to challenge you. Yeah. You should be. And so therefore, like I said before, where it's like he could do that without the how much money would you like to take a guess a Sunday service runs <laughs> at neighborhood church? Again, Tim was one of our fan finance guys at Tulare First Baptist Church. You're looking at about a comparable size building. You don't have the high ceilings as TFBC, so maybe mm. the um less well the heater electricity the tfbc were were triangular like a a traditional roof but you also don't have as much electricity going on on that stage as they do at neighborhood yeah neighborhood's got a lot more electricity a lot of that's led so it uses less power uh but that that room's bigger though than first baptist's yeah uh Sink. That first Baptist held. It's wider, less high. 400? 450? Yeah. 450 with everyone cheek to cheek, which no American does. Um, we like our space. What do you think neighborhoods is? Neighborhoods probably. 600, 700? 700. Yeah, and that's what I think. Again, well, 6 to 700 Max it is capacity. maximum. Within the last two months, I, we've been in there and it's been eighty percent, eighty-five percent capacity. Yeah. So I mean, people will go in there and sit. Uh, previous church we're talking about had pews, which well, good God, the fights over that, like over my dead, over my dead body, whippersnapper, you're getting rid of those pews that I put in myself. And then this church has chairs, extra wide chairs, pew so. chair. It's pew chairs. Um, Oh, let's see. That's probably. What do you think it takes? Um, what does a Sunday service cost in neighborhood church? I have no idea what the number is, but you're talking. Best guess. Also, wait, hold on. Sunday service cost neighborhood church. I want to know inclusion of. And think about it. Any paid staff that is on that campus as well. Let Tim take some time. We're gonna play some Mexican. <laughs> We're gonna play some um, Spanish flea in the background right now. <laughs> oh, I gotta get. I have no idea what their budget is. I'm gonna, I gotta no, I don't. It. I don't care what you think the budget is. Go through based off. No, of- I need to because I, I take your best guess. Let's assume that the staff there is paid a bit more than TFPC. But now, what does Sunday service cost? I'm going to put a number down, and then at some point, Forrest agreed to come on here. I don't think he understood what he was getting into when he agreed to come on. No, we need to have Forrest on. But he needs to come on, and then we'll see. We'll bleep out what the number actually is, and we'll we'll laugh at how off I am. Let's say... You want to believe it out? No, I think that that's a really. I think that it's fair to give a good guess. How many weeks? How many church weekends are there in a week? In a, let's, let's, let's say that there are four. That that'll be your average four. There's fifty-two weeks. 
sorry. I'm, there's four months. There's four months. Two weeks, but the the budget's not taken up by every weekend. Let's say divided by forty. No. Yeah, and I mean, like, I would still say that don't include the outliers. Like, don't include the Christmas services. Don't include the the Super Bowl Sundays. Don't include the. I'm gonna say. Average weekend, probably fifteen twenty thousand dollars a month. So that would be that's over. That's children's pastor who, for the I saw for the first time in a video this week. I mean, I knew they had one. They and they must have had a good one. I, I've been over there in the children's, and they run a pretty good ship over there. Sure, children's pastor, basically the outreach pastor, youth pastor, the youth pastor. Uh, Jordan, our friend, is. Their communications director he's there every weekend even actually he's changing his position which is really cool for yes. him i'm excited for him because uh, he's outgrown that uh jason jordan we love you jason's there kelly's there kelly who's the executive pastor of the man who actually like keeps the trains running on time i mean just so in salary alone and then you know you got overhead with uh youth group junior high what do and then worship and pastor then the children's is a big deal right um so you're saying that if you were and to then divide we have the coffee shop which they're looking to expand right so if you divide it by four because you said twenty thousand dollars a month no i'm saying twenty thousand a week you're just saying twenty thousand dollars for a sunday service a week mm-hmm Right, and that's what people need to understand. <laughs> no, mean, I know. I think that that's. I don't think it's. I don't think that's a wild number. I don't think that that's a wild number either. Uh, but I think that every single person that listens to this podcast needs to understand that. Yeah, I want everyone to listen to this podcast, and not. I don't want anyone to get disillusioned and like lose their faith in the way we do church. This is not going to be solved by this by my generation or your generation. This is. This is going to have to change. But is that? But that's my question. Is that how we're supposed to do church? Is that no. it? No. No. Absolutely fucking not. No. We took. We look, folks. Let's be very honest about how we got here. The, the, the sex appeal. No. <laughs> no. No. But you're you're I, gonna well, agree, I, you're I, gonna I, agree I, with me. You're gonna agree with me. But it's not so far off. Look. <laughs> There are a lot of, let's just take a step back. A lot of people who are listening to this who don't know much about church history, uh, don't know, don't understand truly the things that they grew, grew up as, as central totems, shall we say, of the faith. They're not central, they're not central doctrine, they're not central dogma, but they are things that we believe in as Christians, whether that be the way we do Easter or we do sure. Christmas. There are things that we just assume. We either assume they're the correct way to do them, like they've always been that way, or we just don't even think about it, which is fine. If you don't think about it, that's probably the best way to just yeah. don't think about it. Ignorance. We is have bliss. mentioned our friend. I don't remember what we called him before, but we'll call him Henry. Made the mistake of trying to uh, educate a bunch of junior high, junior high kids as to how their holidays that they all love and celebrate as uh, wonderful Christian children are based on pagan holidays. 
Henry was not wrong. Henry shouldn't have been telling that to junior high kids, for one. And two, Henry shouldn't have taken it to the extent that he was saying, which is basically you shouldn't celebrate these because they're based on pagan holidays. Because we can get a whole debate as to why the church assumed pagan holidays in order to make it easier to spread the gospel. Okay, why do I go on that rant? The way we do church today, the Protestant way or the Catholic way, if you're a Protestant, you're only doing church on a smaller scale than what the Catholics did. If you're doing the Catholic way, you're doing the way the church has done it for nearly two millennia. That model is not based on anything biblical. That doesn't mean it's non-biblical. Let me be clear. But it's not biblical. However, let's be honest. It is based on the adoption of Roman, Greco-Roman temple worship. We took the same buildings that we were worshiping, Roman and Greek gods, and substituted what we were worshiping and put Jesus in there. And fine, whatever. But what it's done is, since that happened, probably three, four hundred years ago after, I don't know, we have now decided that church has got to be within a damn building. No, not a building. Within a temple. The, the building that you and I go to on a Sunday, Colton, is a temple. Yeah. We don't call it a temple, but it's a temple. Yeah. We go to the temple to do the sacraments of the worship time that we're all going to do together. We do the three songs so we all just just pretend that we're all getting in tune with Jesus. And yes, if you're listening to this and you like worship, fine. I'm, I'm making fun of you. I'm making fun of worship. I know some of you love it. But we're the going there to do our Protestant and Catholic sacraments, which are just ripoffs of praying to whatever uh, Roman God for... for None of them are coming to my mind right now. Well, and also one of my biggest pet peeves is, and this is something, well. Pardon me. I don't know. I have to be good about this. Um, is is there is a speculation that there is a roll sheet or an attendance sheet that is associated with your faith in uh, church? Mm-hmm. Where the amount of days that you show up determine your uh, faithfulness to God. So whenever you show up to that wonderful temple that you have put up that pays 20 grand. And the hard part about this is this is where I say that the manipulation factor is coming to play. Is that I personally believe that you have been manipulated to believe that your weekly presence has I'm so glad our original topic just got blown out of shit because of I don't even remember how we got started on this because keep going because this is phenomenal I think that there is this idea about weekly attendance that says you are more sanctified so to speak than others which again if you take a look at the scriptures you'll find that that's just not true when you look at at jesus and what's going on with the sabbath 
and so uh, there's almost like this roll sheet of how Christian you are based off of how many church services you attend a year. And if any of you have, and this is why I said again about manipulation, is is again something that maybe we pull the curtain back on a little bit is the reason why that's such a big issue for churches as to you being there all 52 weekends of the year is because if you're there all 52 weekends of the year, you can tithe all 52 weekends of the year. It, it does not matter. Like it's not, you have bought into, uh, this idea, and again, attending this temple is not necessarily going to church. You can get so much more at home with the discussion or maybe staying at home and watching an episode of Ted Lasso yeah. than you could possibly get from going to church. Or maybe going to the bar with your friends and hanging out with them and maybe your friends going through a tough time and just spending time with them. That is your church. There's a lot of different elements of where church can exist that don't necessarily exist within that huge concert, that $20,000 concert that's being thrown every single Sunday. $20,000 concert. There's there's a... 10-minute concert with a really cool TED Talk right after. That's right. That last 45 minutes that you may be – that you zoned out for for 30 minutes of. But you did your part. This goes – we we talked about this a little bit on our uh, – when we had our second discussion about reading the Bible. And I think it was when we talked about that. And I mentioned how – look, we've – by adopting the pagan temple mode, we've turned Christianity into a religion. Right. Because as to your point, we judge people on the number of times they go to church. Well, I haven't seen Bob and Jill in a long time. Now, to be fair, to if you've been in church long enough, if Bob and Jill haven't been in church for a while and they were faithful attenders, it's not crazy to see them divorce in the near future. But that said, that's not because they stopped going to church. It's because church wasn't going on at home. And church was only going on on Sundays. Right. And we have, I think I talked about when we were, when we were talking about the Bible, how we've distilled church in the, we've, dist, we've distilled Christianity into being these quick little snippets of, What we, we what we usually talk about is yeah you, you know church just can't be church just can't be what you do on Sundays it's got to be at home well, well let's take a step back and talk about what we're what the small groups are talking about yeah it's not sufficient to do the 25 40 minute TED talk on Sunday and then we again we send people off to go into the house and they do yeah once everyone's done telling everyone what what they've done for the week and all that kind of stuff, maybe ten minutes of Bible study, maybe maybe thirty. No, my issue with that 
Well, I'm just saying. No, we've I'm... distilled everything down to. There's nothing. But I think that this goes back to a topic that we have discussed previously, which is people don't have the capabilities, so to speak, based off of the what we've talked about of really actually teaching scripture at a deeper level. So if somebody walks into a small group and they have this question of, well, I don't know what the book of Revelations is about. I don't think that anybody, most people that lead, that just have gone to church on a Sunday service have ever gotten any instruction about the book of Revelation. And if they have, it's probably not correct. Quite possibly. (laughs) It's probably crazy talk. Quite possibly. (laughs) So therefore, I'm like, don't teach it. Yes. Don't answer that question. That's Revelation's at the end because it's the PhD course in Christianity. (laughs) And so that's why I'm like, please, please do not, do not, please do not. Um, when it comes to, it, to, to leaders in the church, and these are people that have been asked to lead small groups and do that kind of stuff. Okay. So they're not good at that. But small groups are not supposed to be for that. When you have questions like those types of things, you need to go to your expert in, on the subject. Yeah. When you, and I get it. You may not have that personal connection with your pastoral staff or anything like that. And so that may be extremely difficult for you to approach them. And that's why the small group leader allows for those conversations to happen and that kind of stuff. I get it. And we talked about this literacy where it's like maybe they're not fully equipped to be able to teach – stuff because they don't even have the tools to be able to teach and that's small group leaders and that's why i have a frustration with there had there's a huge push where it's like okay all of us are gonna go through this person's book and we're gonna read through it and it's like and everybody reads through it um within the congregation or whatever and those are the small groups those are the what it community groups is that what we call them that's what we're doing. And people may, may not be fully equipped to answer any of those questions that are leading this group. These are people that had honest intentions that have been a part of a long time uh, of the church for a long time. And they got asked to do this. And they were like, yeah, sure. And then they get in there and they're like, I don't understand. Or maybe they get in there and they feel overconfident. And so they share things and that just aren't true at all which happens a lot. The reason why that's concerning is if you do that, you don't... It's no... It's it's not helping anything. Again, the home church model is really what we've talked about for a long time where it is, hey, how are you doing? And you talk about that for hours on it. It's about caring about other people. And that's what you should be doing for. You need to be living out your faith. You need to be challenged regularly in that. But it's really about coming alongside people and helping them in their time of need. That's the purpose of the small group. 
that's what you should be doing through that process. It's not necessarily about pushing some agenda or doing this lesson. And I know that we feel obligated that we need to do that, but really you should not feel obligated. Anybody that ever leads a small group should not feel obligated to talk about Jesus for the entire like for no. the entirety of the time. Actually, it'll probably be best for the first couple years of your small group to just actually never talk about Jesus. Trust me, it'll act or sorry, you should never intentionally talk about Jesus. I guarantee it'll enter its way into the conversation at some point. It will. You'll have great profound conversation and there will, will be times where maybe even with the people that you have had a conversation with and I can speak from experience where people will get angry and they will get upset and they will back off but because it was just naturally inserted in the conversation and because it wasn't a part of some agenda they will continue to come back and they will continue to talk to you about that kind of stuff on a regular basis because it wasn't your I keep saying agenda it wasn't your agenda to minister to that person. It was just natural. And so you got to explain your part. They got to explain theirs. They got to explain some of their frustration. And eventually it'll come up again. I guarantee it. And you will be able to chip and break down those walls better than ever. As long as you don't continue to sit there and say, all right, we're doing home church. We're going to break out this acoustic guitar. We're going to sing Wonderwall for the next 10 minutes. And then <laughs> we're going to we're gonna sing Love Comes to Town after that. Oh, that's um, a great song. Okay, in defense of small groups, because you and I both criticize them. Criticize, look, I think most small groups that I've been in, been in are useless from a theological standpoint. They suck. Can we please stop going through Rick Warren's books? Oh, those are, yeah. 40 days in the word, Look, baby. A, a mutual friend and two-time guest on the show, Andy, we were in a small group, and I don't remember what we talked about, what the church wanted us to talk about, or if I had picked something. What I took away from that small group wasn't what we were supposed to be learning. It was getting to know this woman who was in our church that, probably been going there for a while and I didn't know who had issues with her children and who I think everyone else in the group got after a couple of weeks got really tired of her complaining about her children and then after a while not with an epiphany just out of just I think partially because you got to understand why she was bitter about it and also her just being able to unload with a group of strangers who then became friends, who became acquaintances, who became people that were doing soup kitchen together every Saturday, she softened on her view. That's why you do small groups. You're not in there because you're going to learn more about Jesus. And in no. fact, to what you were talking about, I think part of the problem of the church is it's turned beyond turning Christianity into a religion it's turned it into a religion that requires that somehow requires a phd to understand i don't think when jesus was on this earth telling yes complicated parables that he envisioned 
that it would only fully manifest itself to a fully educated society that what people I think the problem you are correct the question you raised several episodes ago that got us on these discussions about the Bible it's true if you're illiterate if you can't read and comprehend the Bible's hard to read but I think the church's problem after 200 years is it's 200 years of men trying to overcomplicate it either because they're just bored and they're arguing over things that don't need to be bored about or in a lot of cases they are using their questions and the people who don't have answers that they don't like that they've invented using it to exclude people from this new religion so to wrap up this discussion and it's not going to happen in this generation but i think it is going to happen when i've this has been a theme of mine from the beginning of this podcast. It's a theme of mine. Anybody who's a friend, because I just talk about it, it's the little cup that I pound on the table. We are in a digital age when we have profound technological thing change the way we're in. The world changes. And not only does it change in the way it behaves, it changes in the way it thinks. People weren't all sitting around in... Uh, there weren't a bunch of rich people sitting around in castles or people sitting around in uh, little tiny shacks all thinking, if only I had some way to mass communicate this thing, to mass communicate the, the Bible and then everyone be able to read it. It was only because the printing press was invented and someone said, hang, hang about. We can now hand these things out on a much larger scale. And you're still telling me that we can't read these things. It was the technology that drove the Reformation. It wasn't a bunch of people all sitting around going, oh, hell, if only priests would stop telling us what we needed to think, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That is going to happen within the church. It's not going to happen within this gener my generation, probably not your generation. I am hoping for a more simplified, stripped-down gospel in the near future, probably not in my lifetime, and a church that is not wasting money on man-made things, yeah, but things that impact those who have been ignored by the world. Right. And, and so again, if you're listening to this, you go to a church, do not... Just say, oh, look, if you want to go try to start a home church, God bless you. Go try it. But don't take this and get disillusioned by how church is. It's, it is the system you've grown up in. Don't try you to are not going to change it. Don't try to one-up your friends with breakfast. <laughs> don't try to one-up your friends with, with home church and how breakfast is. It's, it's a terrible idea. But um, <laughs> if you want to try to... If, I would say this podcast is you and I trying to strip down the gospel yeah, as best as we can. And that's with all of the shit that we've got cluttered in our brains from 2,000 years of religion that's not meant to be the gospel. That's true. But we're, that's what we're it's, – it, it's our best attempt. But continue to go to church. Continue to do your best. I will say – you know, we were talking about our church and how they're raising a bunch of money. They're not raising a bunch of money. They're spending some money on our campus. But the bulk of the money they are raising is to build an educational center in this impoverished neighborhood 
to teach people English, to do tutoring services, to get kids who have never been to college, who've never had any family members ever go to college. They are doing those kind of practical. That's what the purpose of this community center is. And it's is. partnered, just so we're clear, for anybody that whenever you hear this, it is partnered with Visalia Unified School District, which means that it can, it has to be separation of church and sure. state. So, but we talk so about yes. It. So yes, the church is funding it, <coughs> but the people. So whatever facilities that are being ran by it are still. It is. All it is is just the church is saying, hey, we just want to help out our kids in the area. Yeah. You go out there. That We're not trying to push some Jesus agenda. We're not trying to do any of that. All we're sitting there and saying is, hey, we want these kids to be successful. We want children to have an equal opportunity. We want an equitable education for our children in our area, and we think that that is super important, which is actually on board with whatever education system that you are ever a part of. And so they were like, "Yeah, sure, we'll take your money and we'll build." We're going a back building. to basics. We're doing what the church did when it. The, we talked about it last week, I think. The church exploded. If you're not aware of church history, the church exploded because a plague ravished Rome in particular and the Roman Empire. And everyone who had money left because they didn't want to die. And the only people who stuck around and the only people who openly put their health on the line and cared to those who were sick and or dying was the church. And that is the spark that led Christianity taking off. And that's all this is. And we talked about it. I think that was one of the things I said was, you know, if we have a whole generation of people who are illiterate, maybe the church should start using its facilities to start teaching people how to be literate. And they don't have to read the Bible to do it. But, you know, someone might 10 years later, who's got a really nice job and really successful say, you know, I was only here because a bunch of Christians decided every, every day after school to teach me how to read. Or whatever the thing, it does. But so, we need to rethink church. We're rethinking church. We're reimagining church. It's going to happen. I don't know when, but I don't think this model is going to sustain itself. Um, so, we still haven't even gotten to where I brought it back, where I was bringing it up to uh, junior high or youth ministry. So we've talked about youth ministry. You've been very adamant about. Because of your dad's background and your background, I don't know that this is the case at all churches, maybe big churches. I would assume at a big church, if, if someone's been a youth pastor for a long time, they're probably being paid well. Or they're okay with the abuse. Or they're okay with the abuse. <laughs> Regardless of that, question, question. Would you would you not agree that it is that it has been and probably still is a common model that you hire a young married couple to be in charge of youth group and that the now let me be clear you are hiring the male to be the youth pastor but it is implicit in the hiring process with both the pastor and anyone involved in church leadership that what we're really getting is a two-for-one, right? 
Yeah. I'm nodding up and down. Yes. Absolutely. And actually, there's intelligence to that. And if you're at a, if you have a church that's not doing that, your church is probably moronic because I will explain why. You need a female in some sort of leadership in youth group who is talking to females. If you are leaving your 21-year-old, 22-year-old, 27-year-old, or 33-year-old male talking to females and the problem, the teenage girls that they're talking about, that is a recipe for disaster. So stipulating that a lot of youth groups correctly are built on a model of a male and a female, whether both are being paid as the model for running that part of the ministry why is it so wrong for Saddleback to hire a male-female pastor group to lead the church? Would you not want the same? Again, you and I both know at the church we were at before, the pastor who had been there for 25 years, his wife was an unpaid pastor for a long time doing things. What's the difference? Because she's getting paid? Of course you want a female in position. I I mean ultimately what this comes from is from the female position. I it churches Well, I mean it, it it just shows the stupidity of the Southern Baptist Church that they're throwing them out on this basis. So if you're going to throw look there's the great line there's a great line from Seinfeld where a guy converts to Judaism and he starts telling Jewish jokes and Jerry complains about it and the guy says are you are you offended as a Jew and Jerry says no, I'm offended as a comedian. If the Southern Baptist Church was going to kick Rick Warren and Saddleback Church out, it should have been the shitty teaching Rick Warren's been teaching all these years. I'm offended. I'm offended. <laughs> That's so funny. I'm sorry. If you like Rick Warren, I'm not a fan. Colton's not a fan. I'm not He's a fan. milk toast. I literally was going to say the same thing earlier. I was like, <laughs> but you went to use the restroom and I was going to do a huge ass dig on Rick Warren. Rick Warren just, golly. Okay, so Rick Warren is one of those pastors that is not ballsy. No. Um, he's he's Tony Robbins on uh, in a, on a pulpit. He's not. I don't actually even know if he's, he's not. That's an insult to Tony Robbins. Tony Robbins at least challenges people. He's not. Uh, what's his name in Houston? Oh, uh, oh, yes. Uh, yeah, I know. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Uh, he is not. Jesus loves you. I he loves you so much, I, he's going to give you a whole bunch of money so that you can give me that money so I can keep flying my Gulf Street 5. Goldstein. What? Goldstein. No, no, no. Uh, yeah, isn't it Goldstein? No, 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 no. Keep talking. I'll find it. I'll, it's Steen. It's Steen. No, that's a Jewish name. Oh. Uh, is it not Jeff Goldstein? No. It is not. not Houston, they're in the, they're in the, the, the old Houston, uh, Rockets. Houston Rockets Toyota Center. Yeah. Joel, you're. Joel Olstein. Olstein. My bad. I'm sorry. I knew it was Steen something. Joel Olstein. You were closer. You said, that's funny. That's funny how the brain works. You said Steen. And I had in my brain S T I N. I was like, "What are you talking about? This is a Jewish name." Uh, Joel Olstein. Joel Olstein. 
Oh, Jesus just loves you. He loves you so much. He's just waiting for you to love him so he can just lavish his love all over your pocketbook and make you successful so you can keep paying for my big old church. So just so we're clear. Um, and I do need to say this. I do need to say this because I just threw shade at Joel Olstein. Joel Olstein, if you ever listen to this, which I don't think you ever will. <laughs> I need to say this because it's important, especially to me. My grandpa was in the greatest depression of his life. His wife had died. No matter how much my family could love on him, no matter how much. And I spent a lot of time with my grandpa. And my grandpa, for anybody that knows, is one of my best friends. We've been through a lot together. For a long period of time. For whatever reason, Joel Steen, I don't agree with your preaching on, but your talk show host on Sirius XM, where you, it's just literally uh, your sermons on a regular basis for whatever reason that spoke to my grandpa and that brought him out of a huge depression that he never ever would have been able to get through without you. I'm glad you said that. We just made fun of Joel Osteen, and we just made fun of Rick Warren. And those two people, I will admit, we threw a lot of shade at them, and I will continue to do so on this podcast. But I will also admit that those two people have led more... I don't agree with either one of them. Well... No, I don't agree with them. I don't agree with Joel Osteen's version of the gospel. No, I mean... But I don't think... I don't, don't take that as, dear listener, that I don't think he's not a Christian. I just think he's misguided. Rick Warren has a healthy view of the gospel. He's just milk toast. It's just limp-wristed nonsense. Yeah, again, it's 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 tepid water. However, I will admit that they have done more to bring people to Jesus than I have. So they are not to be cast aside. And no, just because of the pul- the size of their pulpit. I completely agree. No, so, I. I I'm sure there are people in that fourteen thousand, fifteen thousand dollar church every Sunday who listen to Rick Joel Osteen go out and do wonderful things for the kingdom and live out the way Jesus wants them to live them out. And it's the same thing at Saddleback. Saddleback has been a tremendous church for the church. So we're having fun, but we're... I still recognize the work absolutely that you have done. And I, I, I've heard Joel Osteen say he didn't ever want to be a preacher and his daddy made him do it. I don't know how his daddy made him do it but i've heard him say multiple times i did not want to be a pastor yeah and i remember that's the problem with churches like that where daddy decides it's going to be a legacy thing and so joel turns out to be a really good gifted speaker yeah he's just not like what you're what you've talked about he's just not really standing up there saying i'm sorry life's not the way you want it to be the world's shitty Right. And because you're a Jesus follower, it doesn't make it. Becoming a Jesus follower doesn't giving you a give you a heavenly AAA card that you get to call every week to get you out of whatever jam you're in, or deal with the person you don't like, or give you the five hundred dollars you don't have, or whatever. God is not a, a galactic uh, AAA card, and that's what the Joel Osteen world is. But yeah. he's not the only one who sells that shit. But that said. He's bringing people to Jesus in some way. So, 
Yeah, and I think we have we have friends. You have you and I. I think they're mutual friends. We have friends from the church we used to go to who go to his church, and they were really good believers. And somehow they ended up down there when they moved to Houston. I'm like, okay, Houston's pretty big. It's like the third, fourth biggest city in America. I would think you'd find a better church, but all right, whatever. Actually, and also it was really cool. So I mean, we're getting a little bit off topic here at the end of our thing, and with Joel. <laughs> so again i i'm not like i said i'm not a huge fan um but I, what i can always say about him and why i don't want this to be a thing but where you think anything where i think negatively about him is is like i said my grandpa needed those positive stories that you continued to tell those were those were things that were my grandpa believes in the power of prayer in the same way that they do um, in Joel Olstein's church. I believe in the power of prayer as well, um, but theirs is is a little bit more um, hmm. extreme, yeah, definitive. Just, yeah, definitive. Um, and so it's a really cool. There's a term for it. I can't remember the term. I know yet, which there's a, there's term, a term you're talking about. I know you're. Th- I know what you're thinking yeah. about. I just. Um, and this is actually something. And what's funny is what what Joel is doing. And for it, if anybody is you know, is skeptical or anything. Again, this is something that happens. <laughs> what's weird is we push so hard against Joel. Or just these pastors in general, but like, there's nothing compared to what happens in a Pentecostal church on a regular <laughs> Sunday morning. Um, <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, and and when it comes to Rick Warren, you know, it's it's just I don't feel like you guys are. And here and here's again where again I give Joel credit and I would still give Rick Warren credit because I need to explain something first about Rick Warren when I was in high school we went through the 40 days in the word also I'm I'm, I'm, I'm trying not to dry heave but also the purpose I shouldn't have done that I shouldn't have done that because it's been helpful for a lot of people yeah sure sure no 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 okay I'm not giving this any love you shouldn't. That was me being snarky. Also, the purpose-driven... Tim should go to hell. Also, the the purpose-driven life was also part of this whole shebang growing up. It's not my favorite either, but, <laughs> but Tim should go to hell for being judgmental. Seriously. No, seriously. No, wait, I think wait, we're, wait. I think we're going to... Bring... Go ahead. Finish. I'm, I'm interrupting. No, 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 no. You're, you're going to like this. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm not going to a good place with this. Okay. We would have money on how long it would take Rick Warren to plug his book (laughs) 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 on every single time. Listen, I'm not saying that whatever 40 days in the word. Yes, please spend 40 days in the word. Please um, understand your purpose in your driven life. Um, I think that just. Uh, wow, I can't say this appropriately. At least not two and a half beers deep after not drinking for a while. 
<laughs> they are just so vapid. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I'm a... Are you done? You just give me something. I will wait. Hold on. Okay. Wait. Also, what I wanted to say about Joel Olstein. Blah, 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 blah. Also, just so we're clear about Joel Olstein. Is his sermons are completely different if you've ever heard him, like, interviewed or something? Oh, yeah. No, that's it's the thing. It's weird, right? Like, no, I'm like, like, he gets interviewed and it's like, wait, you just referenced scripture, which you've never done in any of your no, sermons. No, that's... that's <laughs> If you want to really get to know Joel Osteen, you have to see him interviewed. Then that's the interview is where he's like, I never wanted this. Like, I'm an introvert. I don't think I'm a gifted speaker. I don't think I know the Bible very well. I don't think I'm spiritually a leader. And it's like, okay, well then, did daddy make you? It's, it's, it is very odd. I would highly recommend you, you, if you've only ever listened to his sermons, listen to him actually outside of that because he also is extremely intelligible like when he when he talks about different things and that kind of and not that his sermons are unintelligible that's not what i'm saying they're just they're they're hanging fruit and they're the the fruit is right in front of your face is kind of what i'm saying about his uh sermon style but when you hear conversations with him and when he talks about the scriptures and that kind of stuff it is a lot more complex, and I'm like, oh, you're – the best way to that, I w- that I would equate it is if you had sat there and you thought that somebody was a bimbo, and then you go and you talk to them, and they turn out to be a PhD, yeah. <laughs> and you're like, I'm a dipshit. I only did stripping on the weekends to pay for school. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's all it, that's all it took. We're going to have to cut this part out of our podcast, but golly. Okay, well, I'm going to call us hypocrites. <laughs> if we cut that out? Or no, what? that has nothing to do with that. I'm oh, going to leave yeah, that yeah. in. Oh, golly. Colton's getting fired. We talked about how people are not equipped to read the Bible, and they, we're, we're criticizing people for distilling it down to something we find overly simplistic. And I don't think it's just overly simplistic. It's, it's not challenging enough. But let's, a, but, let, but let's admit, they're doing – look, I could throw up all kinds of stipulations and say why that's not fair. Because, one, both of them go to – both of them pastor – well, Rick Warren for sure. Rick Warren is one of the most affluent pers- places in the entire world. So no one going to that church I think is – has reading deficiencies. Well, and also – okay, another and thing – probably not Joel Osteen's church. But let's just put that aside and say, okay – they're meeting people where they're at spiritually. Well, and also something that needs to be said about Rick Warren is that people love to judge pastors on the amount of money they make and oh, all that yeah. kind of stuff. Rick Warren 100% through and through follows his policy about what it is, about how much money he ties, where he does the 90-10 and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, he and Francis Chan, they're like, yeah, I make a ton of money on books and I give it all, most of it away and I live on what I need to live on. Right, exactly. Those guys, again, I think that they are challenged personally in that kind of stuff. I just, all that I'm saying is that their, their preaching style is just not my cup of tea. I don't think that it's very challenging or thought-invoking. Now, wait. I say they. 
because you just lumped Francis Chan into this. I think Francis Chan is a little bit of a step. Oh, um, Francis Chan is is master's degree. Francis's problem is he's master's degree preaching on Sunday, and I think it's and well, sometimes he's, he's almost too challenging. I still think that he's a little simplistic. Um, I think he's very obtainable. It's for well, he's very he's very. I mean, he went to master's college. He's a he's a yeah. John. He is. 80% John MacArthur, he just, I'm not, he appears to be more loving than John MacArthur is. And if you're, I know, I have a few friends who go to, that I'm not criticizing MacArthur saying he's not loving, but John's got a, John, John lives his life with sharp edges and doesn't care. I know John's got a loving heart, but he, he leads with judgmentalism. Francis is a little less judgmental, but at the end of the day, Francis is an old school fundamentalist at heart, and I love him. And he's a genius. I I, think... I guess the only thing we can hope is that at Saddleback and whatever Olstein's churches, they do have sufficient small groups, and that's where people are getting more. But are they just going through forty days in the week? <laughs> well, they, you, I would assume you have to buy it in order to become a member. <laughs> <laughs> that's at least what. That's at least what. Uh... <laughs> that should have been one of the. I'm surprised that wasn't one of the BuzzFeed questions. My mom was going to to this church in in in, in Orange County called Saddleback, and she wanted to become a member, but they wouldn't let. But they required her to buy forty days in the Word. <laughs> In purpose-driven life, she said, "Fuck it, I'm going, never going to." No, it's not even. It's not even, dude. In the forty days in the Word book, if you watch the videos, please go watch. Go back and watch the videos. Don't do not. They're the worst. No, go back and watch them. They're horrible. Go back and watch them. I don't listen to Tim. You will see him be like. <laughs> go also while you're at it. Go watch Talladega Nights for the. <laughs> <laughs> Again, if you haven't watched it already, with uh, Will Ferrell, and where he says, Hi, I'm Ricky Bobby, and I'm Kyle Nart Jr., and we are urging you not to go to Tijuana. <laughs> that is Rick Warren on those. Mm-hmm. He pulls up the book, and he says, Hi, I'm Rick Warren, and this book is used as a textbook in, For how to find Jesus. in 45 <laughs> other countries. <laughs> Rick, it's not a textbook in this country. Well, I trust people are finding Jesus through their ministries. We're going to lose a lot of viewers or listeners this whenever we post this <laughs> I don't fucking think so podcast. At all. <laughs> people are like, who the fuck is Rick Warren? <laughs> Uh, the just so everyone knows, the conversation went off the rails because we started drinking Coors, the banquet beer. Oh yeah, you know what? We need need to talk about that. Yeah, um, we're well, there was two more. This is our second time drinking a Yellow Jacket on. I think the last time we drank Yellow Jacket was that Nolan when we, we no, it was Andy. Oh, so, yeah, that's right. It was Andy. It was an Andy uh, viewing. Um, Andy wasn't drinking, and I don't know if I did. And we only had yeah. It was jackets. actually just me that just was drinking uh, a yellow jacket. Um, we I was ha- celebrating Lent in September. We uh, 
we had the Daytona 500 a week and a half ago, and we got a bunch of course banquets for the occasion. Um, yeah, I know Bush would be more appropriate. Um, we we do have standards. <laughs> I've actually never had a Bush before. Well, I can't remember the last last time I had a Bush was in Mississippi, and that was a long time ago. Which is funny because I feel like I, I think. I will have a bush on Kevin Harvick's last race of his season. There you go. Well, we still need to find that uh, Sunny D seltzer that uh, the Ricky Stenhouse, Ricky Stenhouse Jr. drank in victory no, lane. 100, 110%. <laughs> it's so, probably the worst thing ever, but I, I, I just to find it would be an amazing unicorn. We, uh, for our friend group, and I'll explain this right now. Uh, Tim is uh, Tim's company that he owns is he's uh, he owns a sports photography business. Um, and Empire, uh, Empire, we get to go hang out with him at NASCAR races and help out his photographers a little bit by driving them around to the locations that they need to be for their the where they need to shoot and that kind of stuff. And so uh, through this process, we were we were like, well, if we're gonna keep going to NASCAR races, we gotta pick people to root for. So we all picked someone. Um, I chose somebody that lived. Uh, I the the way that I decided how I was going to root for my person was whoever was gonna live closest to home. I wanted to root for our closest hometown hero, and so I rooted for. There's a guy from Bakersfield, California. It's actually his last season this year, and it's Kevin Harvick. Tim's not a big fan of Kevin Harvick. He used to root to hate him. I root to hate him. There's no reason for it. Just he's just one of root to hate him in the in most recent years. But I mean, in his early career, again, he was a young guy who used to pull kind of dick moves Mm. and all that kind of stuff. So, um, but for us personally, love for me personally, I love Kevin Harvick. Um, but I have to find a replacement after this year, and so uh, and and I have I have. I was a Ricky Stenhouse fan the year before with Kevin Harvick. I was like, Ricky, Kevin Harvick and Ricky Stenhouse Jr. are the guys that I'm going to root for. And seeing Ricky Stenhouse win the Daytona 500 was the most beautiful it was thing. Amazing. Oh, golly, that was gorgeous. He went up there and he did pull-ups. He climbed up the climbed up the side, did pull-ups. I have favorite drivers. Ricky's technically not one of them, but Ricky's one of those guys every weekend. We're like, well, if if Ricky's going to win. If Ricky's going to win. Who can complain? (laughs) No one can complain. There's like five or six, like Corey LaJoy, Ricky Stenhouse. There's like four or five guys that just usually are riding in the middle because their teams are just like, if they're going to win, this is awesome. He's a solo. He's from a solo crew. Yeah, it's it's a one-team, one-car team. He's from Mississippi. His name's Ricky Stenhouse, so it's very easy to call him Ricky Bobby Stenhouse. Yeah. He and once he got he got uh he didn't get wrecked, but he got nearly wrecked in a race last year and got caught on his radio saying, If I see that guy at the food line next week, tell him I tell him I'm gonna beat his ass. <laughs> <laughs> He drives the most ridiculous sponsorships. His, his He's got car is sponsored by Kroger. Continental. So it's, it's Kroger on the on the back bumper. Vel, Velveeta. And then the side and the hood is whatever food Kroger's deciding to sell that week. Which Velveeta. Which is always redneck food. Continental. So Sunny D. Sunny D. Continental uh, toilet paper. 
Kona Island Brewing Kona, Company. Yeah, He's got so big it's, waves it's, coming your way, baby. It's always random, random food items that Kroger's trying to sell. I love Ricky Stenhouse Jr. Golly, that guy's phenomenal. Uh, we saw him out on the track when we were at uh, when we were in Los Angeles for the Clash, and I should have gotten his autograph. I really, well, I mean, we're part of the media team, so we're not allowed to ask those questions. You could have gotten away with it there, but yeah, biggest no. But yeah, uh, I gotcha. Yeah, so he won at Daytona, and in Victory Lane, he had tequila. Oof, let's starting hard. Moonshine. Sunny D Seltzer finished with moonshine. So, wow. And then went to Waffle House and with the And then went trophy. to Waffle House. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> went to Waffle House at 3 in the morning. Ricky Stenhouse Jr., dude. The man, the myth, the legend. All right. Uh, I, we talked about it. So, yeah, I don't understand. Look, if, if it's... If it's good enough for you to have a female pastor with a wife team running your high school, but it's not for the senior pastor, I, I just have questions. And I know they're, they're two, two different positions, but uh, to me that either means you're not understanding the potential for a male-female team at the head of the church, or... Why is it sufficient to have that to run the high school? Yeah. Because as we've talked about, and this, well, this is the part of the conversation we talk. We'll wrap it up here. If you're telling me that it's okay to run in the high school department, but it's not good to run the senior pastor job, maybe you're devaluing your high school job because as we've talked about quite a bit on this podcast, the high school junior high position is becoming increasingly more and more difficult. I don't think kids have, all, have ever been angels, but let's not let's not pretend that the world is the same it is as it was before when we just had maybe a radio and then television came along and then we had television and then we had recorded television which was VHS and beta and DVDs and Blu-rays and laser discs. So we laser, laser disc. I had a laser disc player. Uh, we have all of this outside influence that parents are not being able to control. Before the let's think about it this way: before the invention of the car, it was pretty easy to keep track of your kids messing around, and then once the car came along. All bets were off. The sexual revolution came about more because of the automobile than it did the condom. The condom just prevented as many problems. But birth, birth control, birth control, yes, but it was the automobile that started the sexual revolution. And if you don't believe me, actually the out-of-wedlock pregnancy rate was higher in the late 1950s than it was in the 60s, which uh, just shows that Kids were making babies in in the backseat of mom and dad's Chevrolet or Dodge without protection. And then once the protection came along, they kept making babies without having to make babies. So we are now peak. We are at peak technology. I'm sure something in two years will come along that scares the shit out of us or we think is the new great world thing that then scares the shit out of us two years later. But. I would not want to be a youth pastor right now. So again, if you think it's fine to have a male-female running your high school team, 
why isn't good enough for your senior pastor? And if you truly believe that a male-female isn't good enough to run your senior pastor, maybe you're devaluing the high school. I mean, after all, why would you want a female speaking into teenage boys and girls, right? So, any thoughts, Colton? Are you ready to wrap it up? I'm ready to wrap it up, Tim. Thanks for listening. Go to hell.